Origin on the Our Father. Origin's view of the Our Father may be described as fundamentally Christological, with the phrases of the prayer indicating the gradual process of divinization that we are gaining through our oneness with Christ in the church. The Our Father indicates the kind of divinizing process that we are gaining through Christ's action. And we gain that because we are members of Christ's body. The fundamentals of Origen's interpretation I would describe as mystical. Our Father in heaven. Origen notes that that phrase, that particular phrase, is not really found in Old Testament prayers, but he feels it's a phrase that we can use, our Father in heaven, because of the new and secure status that Christians have as adopted sons of God, which, of course, is crucial in the New Testament, especially in the Pauline texts. So we are adopted in Christ, and we are now sons and daughters of God, so we can pray to a common Father, our Father. And although the being of God is distinct from everything created, he goes on to claim those who do not share his being, God's being, nonetheless have a certain glory of God and his power, and they are, so to speak, an emanation of the Godhead. So you already get this theme of divinization that's present there. We are adopted children of God in Christ, who is the true child of God, and so we have a status in which we can address God in a new way as Father. When you come to the phrase, thy kingdom come, Origen extends this relationship to Christ, because Christ is the kingdom. When we say, thy kingdom come, we're asking the Father to make Christ more present in us. Christ dwells within us as the kingdom, that gives us the power to perform deeds of righteousness. So, you know, we often, when we're praying, thy kingdom come, think of this externally. That's one meaning, certainly, of the prayer. Arjun says, but the kingdom that you're praying for is the kingdom within, and that kingdom is Christ in his kingdom. The practice of virtue is what puts us on the road to deeper and deeper recognition of the kingdom of God within us. Again, I'll quote just that one passage here. We are on the road to being perfect. If straining forward to what lies ahead, we forget what lies behind. As we make continual progress, the highest points of the kingdom of God will be established in us when the apostle's word is fulfilled. Therefore, let us pray constantly with the character of being divinized by the word, and let us say to our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. So that whole phrase, hallowed be thy name and your kingdom come, for ours is an expression of our solidarity with Christ that is our divinization. We are being divinized by being members of Christ's kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the most important mystical reading is to see on earth as indicating the union we enjoy with God now, which is the beginning of the perfect union we're going to have in heaven. So here's what we can call the eschatological dimension of his reading. It both expresses our divinization in the present, but also our hope and our progress towards the uh, heavenly kingdom. 
Give us today our daily bread. Arjuna emphasizes that daily bread is not corporeal bread. It's the bread of life that Christ promised his followers, particularly in the sixth chapter of John's gospel. Here's how he puts it. The true bread is he who nourishes the true man made in the image of God. And the one who is nourished by it shall come to be in the likeness of him who created him. Daily bread for Arjun signifies the living bread that's given daily to our being to enhance it so that we can become true sons of God by eating the living bread that is nothing else but the tree of life. So here Arjun's putting together, you know, the image of the tree of life from the Genesis account and the living bread that Christ talks about in John 6. Towards the end of his commentary, Arjun confronts the phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he notes this seems to contain a kind of paradox or contradiction. How can we pray not to be brought into temptation when we know that all of life is a temptation? How do we pray lead us not into temptation when we know life must involve temptation? Arjun's answer is this. Therefore, let us pray to be delivered from temptation, not by avoiding temptation, but by not being defeated when we are tempted. Later in this section, he makes valuable comments on the role of temptation in the Christian life, basically saying that temptation is necessary for the Christian. It's necessary because it always induces humility and it brings us to self-knowledge, that is the recognition of our continuing need for God. So temptation tells us about our own weakness, our need for God, the necessity for continuing humility, and leads us to turn to God in petition to aid us in the midst of, of temptation. This very brief summary of what Arjun says about the Our Father, I think is a deft combination of teaching about daily Christian practice, including what you do as you're tempted, but also Fundamentally, it's a message about mysticism as divinization through our adoption as sons of God in Christ's body, the body of the church. Theosis, we are being divinized. And what we're praying when we pray the Our Father is an expression of our belief in our divinization, our ongoing divinization process.